everybody. My name's Mike, and uh, thank you, Kate, for reading that passage. Today, as we kind of dig into that, uh, that passage which was for us, at least part of it, we're going to be looking at faith and doubt, faith and doubt. Bit of a story, though, just to kind of get the ball rolling. When I was seven years old, I had this massive crush on my brother's sister's girlfriend. Okay, he was dating a girl called Cheryl. Cheryl's sister was Jenny, and Jenny, she was kind of incredible. Like, she was beautiful, she was so nice, and she seemed to kind of like me too. Thing is, she was 21. <laughs> I was seven. So she wasn't going to, you know, she wasn't going to romance me or she wasn't going to marry me or anything, but she did promise to take me to Luna Park. You know, just her and me. I was so excited you know, that the, this, this promise of kind of eating fairy floss together and riding the Big Dipper together, just me and Jenny, man, I could hardly wait. Until that is, my brother breaks up with his girlfriend Cheryl. And then my family just kind of stopped seeing Cheryl and Jenny. And I've got to tell you, I was pretty shattered because the way kind of things had panned out caused me to seriously doubt to seriously doubt whether Jenny was still going to be able to take me to Lunar Park. I had, instead of living by, you know, faith in her promise, I started living by sight, you know, based on my expectations of how things needed to be for her to be able to keep that promise. I doubted whether Jenny would do it. Don't worry. Don't worry. She still took me. It was epic. And I, and I remember it like it was just yesterday. So, there you go. There you go. I wonder, have you ever started doubting something because your expectations of how and when it needed to happen weren't being met? You know, maybe you've come here this morning and you've got doubts about something. Maybe you've got doubts about your future. Maybe you've got doubts about uh, maybe your career or, you know, your family or your travel plans, whether they're going to become a reality. Maybe you've got doubts about your own abilities. Uh, maybe you've got doubts about, you know, whether you're going to be able to do well at some upcoming task. Perhaps you've got doubts about your relationships, whether you'll meet that right partner, or, you know, whether you'll ever be truly happy again with the partner you have. Maybe you've got doubts about God. You know, whether God really is there. Whether Jesus really is the only way to God. And whether God really will accept and forgive you, you know, just the way you are if you just simply trust in Jesus. You know, honestly, honestly, do you ever have doubts about God? Doubts about his existence or his promises? If so, then when do those kind of doubts creep in for you? For me, those doubts creep in when I'm living by sight and not by faith. You know, when I, so when I look at the world around me, all these conflicts, you know, all these peoples and nations just continually fighting. When I look at its cultures and the way so many people out there just ignore God, just flat out ignore God and yet seem to flourish and get ahead. We have doubts even when I look at the church, you know, the dysfunctional way that we operate and relate to each other at times, I think... Yeah, where is God? Is God really in this? 
Is God really in and among us? Doubts can also creep in when I look at my own life, especially so actually. This is where the real doubts can creep in. All the things that I've done and I do that I shouldn't have done, all the things that I didn't and don't do that I should do. And, you know, I've changed a lot. I know I have. As I look at my life, I've changed a lot since becoming a Christian at age 25. But still at times I wonder, you know, am I really that different from some, at least some of my non-Christian friends and family? Let me ask, when do doubts arise for you? Well, today, as we think about faith and doubts, we're just basically going to ask two questions, okay? Two questions. Firstly, what does great faith look like? And secondly, what's the key to overcoming doubts? And as we kind of dig into this passage, we're going to find answers to those couple of questions and answers in the form of two examples. Firstly, a Roman centurion. And then secondly, John the Baptist. The centurion was a man of great faith. John the Baptist was a great hero of the faith who had some doubts. And so I really want to encourage you, open up your Bibles, just crack your Bibles open, you know, or look on your phones, whatever you do, just get into, let's get into the text together. Um, don't just take my word for it, let's look at the Bible together. Luke chapter 7, because I really want us to get down to work, okay? So firstly, what does great faith look like? What does great faith look like? See, here we've got this Roman centurion. He's not a Jew, okay? So he's, he's not part of God's people. He's a Gentile. He's an outsider. He's a military leader. So he's in charge of, he's actually in charge of a hundred men. And so he's got great power. He's got great authority. But we see in this passage something that's way beyond his power to control. His servant is sick and is about to die. And so what does the centurion do? Well, verse 3, take a look. The centurion heard of Jesus. And so he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Okay, so he's heard of Jesus. Presumably he's heard of Jesus' miracles and his teaching. He's never actually been face to face with Jesus. He's never actually been into Jesus' presence. Okay, it seems, according to Luke. But he's heard of Jesus. And on the basis of just what he's heard... Okay, he seeks Jesus' help. So keep going with the text. Verse 3, he sent some elders of the Jews to Jesus, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation, build our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house though, when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. You know, that's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am, am, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And, and you know, it's worth noticing some important things about this centurion. Firstly, Although this is a man with power and position, there may be some out here of you that, that have great power and position. How does this centurion see himself in relation to Jesus? He sees himself as unworthy, doesn't he? You know, far from thinking, you know, he's special, 
far from thinking he's righteous or somehow deserving of having Jesus just bow to his request, he says to Jesus, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. And you know, that is exactly, exactly the right posture of faith, isn't it? To recognise your unworthiness before Jesus. To realise that you don't deserve anything from him. And to, to reckon that only by grace can you even be in his presence. Yeah, that's the right posture of faith. Well, second thing to notice about the centurion, that although he is a man of, of high rank, okay, of, of worldly power and worldly authority, he'd just say the word and others would kind of jump. He sees in Jesus the very highest rank of all. He sees in Jesus the one with not just power and authority, but obviously divine power and authority. Power and authority even over sickness. And death, in verse 7, he just says, he says to Jesus, just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's faith. Well, how does Jesus respond then to this unworthy, this undeserving outsider who just simply trusts in the power of Jesus' word? Verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Why was Jesus so amazed at this centurion? Because of his great faith. That even though you know, he wasn't an Israelite, this guy, he wasn't even expecting a Messiah, and even though he hadn't seen Jesus, he'd only heard of him, yet with such humility... Humility. He recognises Jesus' authority. He seeks Jesus out and he asks for the help that he knows only Jesus can give. You know, he didn't need to see Jesus. If you look at the passage, he doesn't even need his servant who's sick to see Jesus. He just simply is prepared to, to, to live by faith, not by sight. Faith in Jesus' powerful word. And, you know, that's pretty much our situation, isn't it? We've, we've, we're almost the same as the centurion. I mean, I've got a problem. I've got a big problem way beyond my power to control. And it's not a physical problem. It's a spiritual problem. I've got a sin and death problem. And, you know, I haven't seen Jesus in the flesh either. But I've heard about him. I've heard about him from reliable witnesses in the Scriptures. I've heard about his power and his authority. And so like the centurion, although I know that I'm completely unworthy, and I am, I know that he is mighty to save. And so by faith and not by sight, I've come to him for help. I've come to him for help. Is that where you're at? You know, is your faith firmly where it should be? In the Lord Jesus? Or maybe you're having some doubt, you know, maybe maybe it's not as firm as you'd like it to be, or maybe you're just kind of you're wavering a little bit in your faith. And if so, I want to say to you, don't worry. Don't despair, because you're actually in really good company. 
Even John the Baptist, this great hero of the faith, had his doubts. And as we, as we turn to look at John now, we're going to ask ourselves that second question. You know, what's the key to overcoming doubt then? And let's, let's just kind of work through this. Look with me from verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect somebody else? Now, this kind of blows your mind a little bit. It's like, wow, you know, this is the, the great John the Baptist. You know, the one who'd, who'd preached and who'd pointed so many others to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He'd not only seen Jesus, he was Jesus' cousin. Okay, he was there at Jesus' incredible baptism, you know, where God the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and where God the Father speaks from heaven. He was there. He did the John did the baptism. And he's just been hearing from his disciples about all these amazing things Jesus is doing, his miracles, healing this um, centurion servant, raising this dead widow's son back to life. Now he's got doubts? Yeah, what's going on? How can John the Baptist get to that stage? Well, let's have a look. You see, in Luke chapter 3, from verse 16, John had said this. John said, he said, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. See, John's looking forward to the Messiah. He says, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork will be in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now John is preaching fire and brimstone. He's hardcore. Fire and brimstone. Why is he preaching like that? Because that's what John's expecting. John's expecting the Messiah to come to bring judgment. He's expecting the Messiah to come and he's, you know, to be this fork-wielding, burning guy who's going to deal with sin once and for all. That's what he's expecting. It's what he's expecting. Now, when I was a little kid, I don't know how old I was, but I was, I was little, and my dad told me if I did this certain thing for a certain period of time, that he'd buy me a horse. And I was, you know, really pumped about that offer. And so what did I do? Well, whatever he asked me to do, and I can't even remember what it was, I did it. I made sure that I did it. And so Dad said he'd get the horse. So imagine the, the anticipation. Imagine the ex expectation of a little boy thinking he's getting the horse. Well, the big day arrives, you know, the big day arrives for me to get my horse, my living, breathing horse. But then, what do I find in my room? I find this stick, and it's got a kind of a plastic horse head on the end. It's not this, but it's, it was a bit like this. Although, I've got to say, this one's heaps better. I, it, I mean, this one's pink, because it's gears, but, and this, one, this one's furry, and this one even kind of makes cool noises. Can you hear that? You hear that? How good is that? Okay, it's not a real horse. 
I mean, I've got to say, I was pretty underwhelmed by the horse stick. You see, you see, when you're expecting something to be epic, but it doesn't actually kind of happen that way, and what happens is okay, but not really all that you'd expected, you can't help but wonder, is this really what was advertised? Well, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that for John the Baptist here. Because you see, he had expected something. He expected the Messiah when he came that he'd bring this fiery judgment on sin. Okay? And judgment on all the enemies of God's people. He expected this great big thing. But what's Jesus doing? Jesus, he's not bringing judgment. Jesus has been really nice. You know, Jesus comes and he's eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. You know, he's healing them. He's, he's even teaching people, do not judge. And as John hears this, you know, he's like, what's going on? What's Jesus doing? Where's the judgment? And where's John when all this stuff's happening? If you look back at chapter 3, verse 20, John's in prison. He's in prison. He's expecting the Messiah to come and to bring freedom for the prisoners like himself. He's expecting the Messiah to, to judge all the enemies of God's people, but it's not happening. And so guided, see, by his expectations and by his own circumstances, living by sight, that is, John starts thinking, maybe Jesus isn't the one, you know? Maybe he's not the Messiah that was advertised. His wrong expectations, you see just like me with the horse. Now we saw how Jesus responded to the centurion's great faith. We saw how Jesus responded. Let's have a look at how Jesus responds to John's doubts. Look with me from verse 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, okay, the ones John sent. He said, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Okay, we'll get into this. A few things to notice about Jesus' response. Firstly, what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't himself physically go and visit John the Baptist in the flesh. Okay, he doesn't do that. Instead, he sends these messengers back to report what they had seen and heard. Also, he doesn't, he doesn't just kind of say to John, Hey, John, you've heard all the incredible stuff I'm doing. Instead, he says, Hey, John, here's a very specific list of miracles to show that I am fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Prophecies made hundreds of years ago by Isaiah. Prophecies you know very well, John, like Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, which says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Like Isaiah 29, 19, that says, Your dead will live, their bodies will rise. Like Isaiah 61, 1, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. You see? See why John tells him this report? exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying, John, 
I am the one. You know, what you're seeing so far though, John, it's the first bit, it's the first bit, I'm bringing salvation. The second bit, judgment, it's on its way, just not yet. Now that's what his second coming will be about. So hang on, hang in there, John, hang in there. Don't live by sight, don't live by your circumstances, your own faulty expectations, don't fall away. Verse 23 says, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. You know, blessed is the one who doesn't fall away. Even when they don't see me. Even when, you know, their circumstances and their expectations about me aren't being met yet. Because what is faith? Another part of the Bible talks about it being sure of what we hope for. You know, being certain of what we do not see. Jesus himself says later, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. So how does, how does Jesus then respond to doubts? You know, to doubts like John the Baptist? Well, he doesn't write off or rebuke the doubter. He addresses the doubts. And later he even affirms in a big way John the doubter. You know, he doesn't say to John, hey, John, you're meant to be a prophet. What's going on? You should know this stuff. He simply brings John back into the scriptures. That's what he does. He brings John. He says, John, just look again at the Bible. Look again in the Bible. Look at what the scriptures actually say. Because you see, then you'll be able to realign your expectations. Then you'll be able to bring your expectations in line with God's word. Can you see that? So what's the key then to overcoming our doubts? Well, you know, to live by faith, not by sight. To live by faith in God's word and not by sight, not, not based on our expectations and our, you know, our, our circumstances. John's doubts came because he was wrongly expecting judgment now. Why do your doubts come? You know, maybe, maybe some of your doubts come because you're wrongly expecting certain blessings now. You know, maybe blessings to do with your career or your finances, maybe blessings to do with your relationships or your health, maybe otherworldly problems, blessings that haven't arrived yet. Maybe though your doubts, you know, they're less personal or maybe they're more intellectual and philosophical. Maybe your doubts are that you just don't know if the Bible's historically reliable. You know, or if, or if the Christian faith can actually make any sense of this world we live in. Maybe you've got other kind of questions that you're wrestling with. Maybe that's the source of your doubts. Or maybe your doubts just simply stem from your sin. You know, maybe you're just not prepared to let someone else, Jesus that is, be the Lord of your life and call the shots on how you should live. Maybe your doubts aren't really about whether you can believe it or not. Maybe they're just about whether you can give up being your own God. But here's the thing. You know, whatever your doubts are about, and wherever your doubts are from, you know, wherever they stem from, the first step, first step is just to simply be honest about your own doubts. You know, to, to just own up to your own doubts. Because it's okay to have doubts. 
It's what you do with those doubts. It's, that's what really matters. And that brings us to our next step, because you see, if you're willing to be honest about your doubts, will you be willing to take the next step too? You know, which is, which is to do what John the Baptist did. Will you take your doubts to Jesus? You know, will you, are you prepared to say to Jesus, Jesus, I do find it hard to believe because... And finish that sentence. Or, you know, Jesus, I don't want to believe because... Will you do that? You know, you're willing to do that? If so, if you're willing to do that, then there's one more step. One more step. Will you then do what Jesus asked John the Baptist to do? Will you do what Jesus asked John to do? And this is the most important step. Will you go to the Scriptures? You know, will you examine the evidence? Will you go back to the Scriptures and will you examine the evidence? Will you examine Jesus? Will you examine your life? Will you examine this world in light of that? Because yes, we are to live by faith and not by sight. But we're not to live by blind faith. It's not a blind faith. We live by it. It's a faith based on actual events, you know, actual history. Events, you know, reported by reliable eyewitnesses and recorded and passed on for us in the Scriptures. Are you willing to take those steps? Because you see, if you are willing to take those steps with your doubts, Luke's Gospel is a great place to be. Luke's gospel is an excellent place to go to. Why? Because Luke tells us, he tells us he carefully investigated everything that he's written in account so that we may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. So I want to say to you this morning, if you're not a Christian, you know, if you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian, or you're not sure if you're a Christian, or you're just kind of wrestling with doubts and questions, we've got a simply, good news for you, good news, because we've got a Simply Christianity course that's starting next Sunday. Next Sunday, it's going to be running during our 5 p.m. service. It's going to be running in the seminar room, just kind of behind this, behind the main church. It's going to go for five weeks, and it'll get you right into Luke's gospel, which is where you want to be. I'm going to be involved in leading that, as with a couple of other people, Pete Kerr and Andrew Wilson. And all you've got to do, all you've got to do, is just pick up a Connect card, write your name and your contact. Just say simply Christianity. Let us know you're interested, you know, and then come along. Come along. You know, and the thing about a course like this, it you can just come along to sit quietly and not say a word, that's fine. Or you can come along and you can bring all of those questions, all of those doubts, and we'll wrestle with them, we'll tackle them together. It's that's exactly the kind of course that I went to, you know, I came along to this church many years ago to get married and the minister says, anyone that's interested in finding out more about Jesus, come do this course. I could have just done nothing. But I showed some interest and I did this little course with him. And it's how I became a Christian. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? If you're not a Christian, you're not sure you've got doubts, don't leave this door. Don't leave this building without doing that. But if you're already a Christian, okay, you know that. You're already living by faith in Jesus. I want to leave you with something. 
something very important. And that is, you know, you may be living by faith, but for your faith to stay strong, for it to stay strong, your faith needs to be fed. Okay? You've got to keep feeding your faith. And I'm hoping those people that didn't put their hands up about E100, I'm hoping they're doing something else. I'm hoping you're getting into God's Word regularly. You know, as you know, that as a church, together, we're here on Sundays, we're, we're in Luke's Gospel this year, we're doing that in our small groups, or most of them. E100's our kind of personal Bible reading pattern for, for a lot of us. We're committed to God's Word. That's what we're on about here at St. Matthew's. Everything revolves around it. The thing is, are you with us? Are you committed to God's word? You know, are you regular in reflecting on God's word so that, so that you know God's word, so that empowered by God's spirit, empowered by God's spirit, you could live not by sight, but by faith in God's word. Because that's how you can have great faith. That's how. That's how you can overcome your doubts. That's how. Will you pray with me? Let's talk to God. Our gracious and loving Father, we, we thank you so much for the truths that we find in Scripture. Lord, we thank you for Jesus that he came to this earth and we thank you for all the incredible things he did, mostly that he lived the perfect life we can't live, that he died upon the cross to to die our death for our sin, that he rose from the grave to defeat death and sin once and for all. And Father, we we pray that you would help us to, uh, to dig into your word. We thank you for those events that have been recorded and passed on to us in scriptures. What a privilege we have. Help us to be people who live by faith in your word and not by sight, not by our circumstances or our faulty expectations. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.